Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you think of a Texan, you probably picture a cowboy, maybe even a kid riding to school on a horse. And while that's sometimes the case, it doesn't quite fit for everyone. Texans come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's why the Austin American Statesman is proud to present Truly Texan, a podcast showcasing all the different people that make the Lone Star State so unique. Today, we're speaking with Michael Cargill, owner of Central Texas Gunworks in Austin and host of the Come and Talk It radio show. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. For our listeners, can you give a little introduction as to who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Michael Cargill. I'm the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, which is a gun store in Austin, Texas, in South Austin. And we do handgun license courses. We do private security courses. We do uh, gun sales training. Um, we I like to focus on the training part of things. So we do a lot of training, and that's kind of what we do. I'm a federal firearms licensed dealer. I'm an 07 manufacturer uh, dealer. I can sell, uh, I can make, I sell, you know, everything, machine guns, you know, suppressors, everything. And now you were not actually born in Texas. You were born and raised in Florida, correct? That is correct. So I was born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I'm kind of a, you know, Florida guy. Yeah. I, I love the beach. Yeah. And so when did you come to Austin and what brought you here? So I, I made it to Austin, Texas by way of the military. I served 12 years in the United States Army, and I got out of the Army in 1999, and I ended up staying here in Austin after getting out of the military at Fort Hood, Texas, and just making Austin my home and just drop anchor. So I was in the Army for 12 years. I went to Army in 1987, got out of the Army in 1999, and I was in the military band. I was a musician. I played tuba, trumpet, and trombone. Um, and so one of my last few duty stations was an instructor at the Armed Forces School of Music. A lot of people don't know that about me, is that, is that I was a musician, and I knew more about music than I do about firearms. I, I enjoyed teaching, and I, enjoy, I really enjoyed teaching uh, sailors, uh, you know, Marines and, you know, soldiers how to march in a military-style band. I enjoyed that a lot. That was like one of the highlights of my career. I think one of the best times of my career is doing, you know, change of commands, you know, things of that nature. I love military marches. I'm kind of like a little geek when it comes to music. I ran into someone that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And so that's, that's how I ended up staying here in Austin, Texas. And so we, I got out of the Army, stayed in Colleen for like a little bit, and then moved to Austin in South Austin. And then we, you know, bought a plot of land, built a house. And so we built a house from the ground up and we've been there ever since 2000 in that house, year 2000. Do you kind of consider yourself a Texan now? Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> I've been here since 1999. I'm definitely a Texan. I have the cowboy boots and the belt buckle, the blue <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so then how did you get started with Central Texas Gunworks and specifically working with firearms? Yeah, so it was a kind of a fluke kind of thing because um, 
I wanted to teach my family members how to, you know, I want to teach them about firearms and how to be safe and stuff like that. I actually had a little something happen to my grandmother uh, when she was 70 years old. She decided to, you know, go to college at 70 years old and, and become a nurse at 70. And so um, she went to college. And so while she was traveling back from a college library, sitting at a bus stop waiting for a bus to come, a guy came along and mugged her and raped her. Mm. And so I decided to make sure, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that every, every female in my family had the tools they needed to protect themselves. So that's why I got into firearms. I got into actually training first. I wanted to teach my family members how to shoot. I wanted them to know what the laws were, you know, what they could, what they could and could not do, uh, when they can legally shoot someone, when they couldn't, when they can't do it. You know, I wanted them to know all the ins and outs. I wanted them to know how to act when they're stopped by law enforcement. And so I started teaching classes and just to my family. And then it kind of ventured out because I would do, you know, training sessions on the weekends uh, with my family members. And then the neighbors are like, you know, what's going on? You know, why do we see these people going into your house, you know, on Saturdays, you know, and they're carrying, you know, these boxes and that look like gun cases and stuff. And so they said, hey, we want to get on it. And so that's when I started opening it up to my neighbors. And then I opened up to random people. And then we moved to a hotel conference room, started teaching classes there. And then we got double booked in the hotel conference room. So then I said, I need to find a place of my own. So I, you know, after like a year or so, found the location where we are now. And then we, as a fluke, we started selling firearms because people were like, well, okay, well, we, we, we love the training, but we also want to purchase. I said, okay, well, and so then we start selling. You fill out a form, a 4473, and the gun store then does a back, uh, contacts the FBI, and the FBI does a background check. We tell them everything about you, your last name, your first name, your middle initial, your date of birth, your height, your weight, all the information that you put on the form. We give that information to the FBI, to the NICS, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. And then, and we actually type it into this, you know, type it into the system. And then they will tell us either proceed, out you go with the gun, delayed, you have to wait three business days, or denied. If you are delayed or denied from purchasing a firearm from a gun store, you're actually reported to the FBI, put into the system where every law enforcement agency in the country has access to it. And so you fill out that information, we get the response, uh, we tell you yes or no, or you have to wait, unless you have a license to carry a handgun. If you have your license to carry a handgun, there's no delay, there's no denial because your background check's already been done. So it's good to have a license. Right. And can you tell me a bit about the difference between concealed carry, open carry? There's a lot of terms that get thrown out there when it comes to carrying a handgun. What are kind of the differences and what you see with most people or what you train most people on? Absolutely. So in Texas, we have what they call a license to carry a handgun, an LTC. It used to be called a CHL, but now we call it an LTC, license to carry handgun, because, because with that one license, you will be able to openly carry or conceal carry your handgun with that one license. So that's why we call it the LTC. And what kind of people do you see come in for classes? You would be shocked. We get people from all walks of life, you know, doctors, lawyers, dentists. Uh, we get housewives. Uh, we bus drivers, you know, all walks in life will come into the gun store and purchase a farm and sit in our class. You know, all demographics, uh, white, black, Asian, you know, Indian, you know, all demographics will actually come into the gun store and sit in class and take classes and all that stuff. So it's, it's actually a great experience. 
Do you have students who come back to visit or to share that, you know, maybe they got a job in law enforcement or military? What have kind of your experience been with alumni of your classes? All the time. I have people that work at Tesla who are customers. I have people that work at Google who are customers. I have people that work in all walks of life that are customers of mine. And I get stories and phone calls and text messages and private messages and, you know, about any and everything that pops up, you know, Um, just like the recent incident that we had at, at Tesla. Um, a lot of customers that, you know, were working that day and they called me up to get my thoughts and, you know, and, and, and about Tesla and, and the what was, I guess, a false alarm of, of a shooting that happened there. And I said, well, you guys need to talk to your supervisor and make sure that your security officers are actually armed and not unarmed security. Yeah, but Tesla has a great they have a great system. They have a great uh, camera system, top of the line. Uh, their security is actually, you know, really top notch. So I do have faith whether they're armed or aren't armed that they're actually, you know, they're keeping that community uh, at Tesla in a very safe. And I kind of want to address your identity and presence in the space. What is that experience kind of like for you to be someone who is not heterosexual and a person of color in a space that's usually dominated by you know white men who are heterosexual correct yeah typically you know in this business and that's who you run into uh, typically white males that actually teach guns and sell guns and things of that nature um, I, but strangely enough I get people that come all around the country the world actually I've had someone flew you know come in from uh, Germany someone come in from Europe you know wanted to sit down and take my class because they saw me on the news or in a news story or on YouTube or something like that and they said hey I want to take class from this guy right here so we get people from all walks of life that will actually come in and and, and do this and so um uh and, and it's 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 it really is a good experience because I enjoy um you know meeting different people I I and, and the fact that, you know, I'm a black male, you know, and that I'm teaching guns and gun safety. And, and, and it's a different look because typically when you look at the news, you're watching the 6 o'clock news, 11 o'clock news or whatever, uh, you typically are seeing black males put in a bad light as committing crimes. But, you know, I turn that around and look, I'm teaching people how to get out of trouble. I'm teaching people how to do things the right way, how to getting things, you know, get into the training of the things and, and, and of that nature. Right. Again, thinking about kind of the traditional space around guns being white, male. And then there is, like you said, that space where black people, black men especially, are often painted in a negative, violent light. Correct. Have you kind of experienced pushback from both of those communities of maybe one side saying, you know, you're not what's typically in this space and the other saying, why are you in this space when it's not a space that's typically for people like us? Right. So typically, uh, in the beginning, that's how it was. Uh, people were just shocked and surprised at the fact that I was actually teaching, you know, these type of classes. And it's funny you say that because in the beginning, when we first started teaching to the public, even in my home, in the living room of my house, I would not be the person that actually greeted people. I actually would have my, my other half, my partner, uh, he actually greeted people. And so he he's this light-skinned Mexican guy who probably passes for Italian or something like that. 
And he would actually meet people outside, you know, on the front lawn, showing them where to park, you know, where they're going to come in and sit down and, you know, what the, you know, what, where the restroom was and things of that nature. Once they got in, they sat down and everyone was settled in. They filled out all their paper, gave us their ID and everything. We collected their money. And then I would come out. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we did. And, and, and then, you know, we did that for a while and the business grew from word of mouth. So I also wanted to talk a bit, of course, about the larger conversation around gun rights, bearing arms. What is your stance on that debate of like the Second Amendment and gun ownership? Right. I think gun ownership is really important um, because um, this is the United States of America. We're built on firearms and the fact that. Uh, we are the 911 for the world, for the entire planet. When any, any country needs assistance, they need help, they want to contact us. Uh, so I, I, I think for that point of it, that's important. And then also from the, from the standpoint uh, of the fact that, hey, you know, you need to be your own first responder. And, you know, if something happens, we, we're living in a time right now we don't have enough law enforcement you know, Austin, Texas, we, you know, we have a smaller police department, but this city is continually growing, you know, in great numbers. But our police department is shrinking, going the opposite direction. So you're going to have to be your own first responder when it comes to, you know, protecting yourself or saving your own life. So that's why I think that, you know, the Second Amendment is important to me. You know, also from the standpoint of being, you know, an African-American, a black, you know, a black male, uh, it, it's, it's important because – we need to understand firearms. We need to, we need to be able to protect ourselves as, as, as black citizens as well. Along with that idea of being your own first responder, what is kind of your philosophy when teaching gun safety? What's kind of the bottom line, most important thing that you want people to take away from your classes? The most important thing is I want people to know what the laws are. When you, it's important that you know what you can, you cannot do. When you can threaten someone, when you can use the gun, when you can't use it. Uh, a lot of people are shocked and surprised. You know, people think that you can shoot trespassers in Texas. You cannot. You cannot shoot trespassers. Uh, some people think that you can fire warning shots. You're not allowed to fire warning shots. You'd be charged with a felony for firing a warning shot. So, you know, things that people think is okay is usually not okay. But when they come to class, you know, I open up their eyes. You know, I, I tell people I can bring you to water, but I can't make you drink. So I like to open up their eyes and, you know, give them that knowledge of what I know. So when they walk out the door, they totally look at it a different light. And people think that I'm going to try to convince you that you should, you know, yes, go ahead and pull your gun out and use it. It's the opposite. You know, I, I say the gun is the last option. That's the very last option. When you pull a gun out and use it, your life is going to change. That could be 30 seconds or 40 seconds. It would change your life forever. So think twice before you pull a gun out. And especially about property, property can be replaced. Life cannot. So it's important you think about that. And also remember that when you fire a gun, that's also a $20,000 bullet. And people ask me, well, why, Michael? Why is that a $20,000 bullet? Because you're going to be fingerprinted, booked, spend a night in jail. You have to bury yourself out of jail, to hire an attorney. It's going to cost you twenty grand to defend yourself uh, and to prove why you're justified in pulling that trigger. Going back to what you said about trespassing, warning shots, where do those misconceptions come from that people think that they're allowed to do that in Texas? I do not know. 
You know, I do not know. And, and that's why when constitutional carry passed in Texas back in 2021, and that was on September the 1st of 2021, a lot of people thought, you know, man, I can start carrying a gun. I don't need to take a class. You know, I don't need a license. I don't need to know anything. I can just start carrying. And what happened in 2021, unlawfully weapon convictions increased in Texas by 500 percent that year. Because people were getting convicted and he thought they knew what the laws were. So surprisingly, when constitutional carry passed, our classes actually start dropping down. People stopped coming to class. But then once the, the word got out that people were getting convicted left and right, they started coming back to class in twenty at the end of 2022 and 2023. Right. Not as maybe simple or black and white as they thought. Absolutely. And I also wanted to talk about, obviously, it kind of feels like the elephant in the room when talking about guns is school shootings yes. and just shootings in general. I mean, even in Texas, we had the recent Allen Outlet shooting and Uvalde is still something that, you know, looms large in our minds. Yes. How do you approach people who are trying to take guns away completely or just restrict them a bit because of School shootings, like how do you approach that as someone who is kind of a gun rights advocate? Uh, there are so many different, so many guns in this country, and you're not going to confiscate firearms. Uh, even just by saying that, you know, you will stop the conversation. And so you have people that are just not giving up their guns, and there's no way, even if you stop all gun sales, there's so many firearms out there right now, it would be impossible for you to collect the firearms up here in the United States. And so um, when people say those things, you know, it, it just makes me think, well, it's not going to happen. Not here in the U.S. We have to go from a different different point of view. There are things that you can do uh, to make sure that, you know, guns don't wind up in the hands of, you know, people that should not have them. Uh, we do have a background check system that I believe that actually works when people walk in the gun store. But there are other things that we can actually do that can tighten up that system. Uh, do you know that for for, for example, do you know that gun stores cannot verify that a gun's been reported stolen? So let's say you had a firearm and you want to sell that gun and you walked into a gun store. Me as a dealer, there's nothing that there's no tool out there that I can use, can't type into my computer, computer and figure out that gun that you're trying to sell me has been reported stolen. Pawn shops is a system for pawn shops, but not for gun stores, not for dealers. So pawn shops have a system where they, you know, you put in the system, they wait X amount of days, uh, they, you know, and, and law enforcement has access to it or some system or whatever that is, and it works for the pawn shops. But for gun stores, there's nothing. So we get people that walk the gun store all the time, and we have to profile them. I have to decide, you know, am I going to buy this gun from this person? Is this a regular customer? If this is not a customer, someone I've never seen before, is it in a box? Does the, you know, does it have a serial number on it? I really have to profile this person to decide whether or not if I'm going to purchase the firearm from or not. Right, right. So, yeah, there, there are things like that that we can do that actually can stop, you know, crime and get guns that should not be in the hands of wrong people, get them off the streets. I don't say compromise in there, but there's, there are some things that we can do to tighten up, you know, what we're doing right now. You know, there's some organizations out there that will not compromise on anything. And I get it, you know, um, absolutely. But there are some things that we definitely can do. What yes. are your thoughts on the ownership of big guns like AR-15s? Oh, man, I think everyone should be able to own anything. <laughs> absolutely. You should, if you want to own the AR-15, you should be able to own the AR-15. Uh, but it's it's up to us as family to make sure that our family members are, you know, are responsible. Um 
I have a little joke that I tell in class. You know, I, 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 there's some people I've taught how to shoot in my family who are two years old. I've taken them to the gun range at two and taught them how to shoot. There are some people in my family that are 60 years old that is, they're not allowed to be anywhere near firearms because they can't hire, handle firearms and they're at 60. So we know who the good people are. We know who the bad people are. We know who that person is that's in the family that has issues and problems. And we need to be truthful with ourselves and deal with, you know, and, and look within ourselves to make sure we're doing the right thing for our family, which means that we're doing the right thing for the public. I believe you've done work with the legislature, correct? Or yes. you've gone to like testify yes. with certain things. Can you talk about those experiences and what you were going to the legislature for? Right. So I, I first started out at the Texas legislature um, with the concealed carry on campus because of my grandmother, her situation, her going to college. I wanted to make sure that all my siblings that came behind me, you know, were able to defend themselves uh, going back and forth to and from, you know, the university. So I pushed for campus carry to be passed here in Texas. And so we were able to get that done. It did pass, you know, and I think it works great. I think it's a great system. Uh, where you can you know get your license to carry handgun, you can conceal carry your handgun, conceal carry only, not open carry. You have to have a license. And you can carry concealed, you know, in a public institution or a community college. Unfortunately, all the private institutions you cannot carry there, but the public and the community colleges you can. You just like to look for a specific sign, the third title six sign. You can't carry there. And so you mentioned university students. Yes. So there have been calls for, like, raising the age when it comes to purchasing a gun. You know, obviously, university students, they're in their early 20s. Would increasing the age really help anything, do you think? I don't think so. And I think the reason people are doing that is because they want to stop the different shootings, you know, and stop different school shootings or mass shootings or whatever. But unfortunately, the majority of people that are committing those shootings are not in that age bracket. You know, there are people that are in that age bracket, but the majority of them are not. So that's not going to stop really anything. And you have people that are out in the country that are 18, 17 as part of their, you know, chores or whatever. They have a rifle. They have a firearm. And so we're going to, you know, stop that, you know, or curtail that a little bit. You know, what do you do for the military? You know, I'm 18. I can go into the military. You're telling me I can't purchase a firearm at 18 if you were to raise the age limit to 21. So I can die for my country, but I can't purchase a gun. So those things like that we have to think about. Um, I think parenting is important because I I think what you're talking about is like mass shootings and things of that nature. Parenting is important. It's important that parents get involved with their children and actually act like parents and know what's going on to their kids. Um, Use all the technology that we have out there today to make sure that your kids are not doing something and, and don't wind up being that next shooter. You know, so it, parenting, uh, putting them, you know, if you know something's going on with your kids, it, it's important you say something, you do something, put them in a the system. Because when you look at the different shootings that we've had in the past, uh, the mass shootings, uh, it's usually that person's has some interaction with law enforcement, you know, and no one's going that extra step and will at least done what they're supposed to do. And either putting them in the system, charging them or whatever, they always let this person go and then let them, you know, go by the wayside. And then that per- that thing grows, whatever it is, and it, it just explodes and end up being that next mass shooter. And they're usually along with that, like mental health factors that get tied in. Absolutely. 
So do you think also something that needs to be addressed in the legislature and just across Texas in general is mental health and mental health resources? I don't know. if I think we have laws on the books right now. I think people need to step to the plate as parents. Um, I, I get here. Here's a situation I had happen to gun store recently. I had a parent, a mother contact me and said, hey, my son has a gun. That he's supposed to pick up at your gun store. He bought the gun online. And when you buy a gun online, that gun has to go to the gun store. That person has to walk in the gun store, do a background check to pick up the firearm. Well, it was a rifle, uh, actually a shotgun. And so that the mother called me and said, look, you know, my son's picking up a, a firearm from you. And the reason they knew that is because they were looking at his credit card statement. And so knew that found out that the gun was coming to our gun store. And so he was um, – Apparently having troubles, trouble with a girlfriend, an ex, uh, a fiance, and they had a kid, and she didn't want to be with him anymore, and there were some issues with that. And so the mother contacted me and said, hey, please don't transfer this gun, sell this gun to my son. He's having some issues. Um, and I said, okay, not a problem you know, because I have to listen to that because I don't want that being on my conscience. I don't want someone doing something with a firearm and, and that coming back, you know, to me mentally. So I said, okay, not a problem. So I, I would, wasn't going to sell him or wasn't going to transfer the firearm to him. He came to me, he asked me, um, Hey, I got, you know, is it okay for me to pick up my firearm right now? And I just, I lied to him and told him he was delayed. And so I, I gave the mother the benefit of the doubt. And so then I let a couple weeks go by and I, and I told the mother, I said, you know, please make sure that you get him some help, some assistance, you know, put him in a system, contact, you know, either law enforcement, you know, maybe a therapist, some, somebody like that and get him some help. And so she promised me, OK, I said, OK, not a problem. So time went by, a couple of weeks went by. I contacted her again. I said, hey, he's you know, he's wondering if he can pick up his gun. You know, what's going on? Have you guys got him some help? You know, have you got him a counselor, someone to talk to, whatever? And she said, no. I said, okay, well, I'll wait a little while longer, give you some more time. And so I let some more time go by. I contacted him at the end. I talked to the father this time. And the father said, you know, hey, well, we're on vacation. We're out at the beach. And so I let some more time go by, and I reached out to them again. I said, look, you know, he's wanting to pick up this gun. What are we going to do about it? You know, is, is there an issue here? Is there a problem? You know, what's going on? Because it's a fine line between me you know, holding up this guy's, you know, constitutional right and access to firearms because, you know, and I don't want to be that person, but I do want to make sure this person gets some help. So they eventually both the father and the son walked into the gun store, you know, to pick up the gun. And, you know, the the father had the son give him the gun, you know, once he passed the background check so the father can hold on to it, you know, while they work through whatever they're trying to work through or whatever. Uh, but my problem with that is they weren't taking it serious, you know, because you know, they extended their, they went on a vacation, extended their vacation. And here I am, you know, holding up this guy's constitutional right and access to firearms. And maybe the parents were not being truthful or forthcoming with me, you know, but initially I did, you know, take what they were saying. They're saying, and that happens a lot. You know, we, we get that, we get parents that are legit 
and they will contact gun stores and we con- we talk to each other's gun stores owners to make sure that we try to keep this community safe. If, if there's an issue, there's a problem, you know, we communicate with each other. If there's a break in, uh, we, I contact the other gun stores and say, hey, you know, someone tried to break into my shop. You might want to tighten up your security a little bit. You know, here's how they tried to break in. Here's what I did. You might want to try to do something, you know, on your side. I actually communicate with the other gun stores whenever something happens with me. So and and I like that. You know, that we have that tight knit community. It's not like a competition thing where we're trying to, you know, someone's trying to outsell someone else. You know, it's, you know, we're, we're, I think we're a nice family here in Austin, in the Austin, Texas area. Right. Have you had to deal with a break in before? Yes. I've had a group of uh, eight people and, you know, in like four different vehicles try to break into the gun store, try to ram into the gun store. This happened in 2020 in like June or July. And doing the, you know, protests and, you know, nature and, 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 you know, with everything being shut down during COVID. So they drove into the parking lot. They tried to ram the entrance, shoot the front entrance with the gun, try to shoot the lock off the door, all that kind of stuff. And they, you know, they couldn't get in. And so we have different security measures that we put in place as far as the parking lot, as far as the building, you know, and everything. And luckily, everything worked the way it's supposed to work. So I, you know, I can't tell you my security measures, but you know, there it's uh, we we whenever something happens, we do a little more. We do as much as we possibly can because we learn from every different case, every diff- different situation. So I have to ask what I think a lot of people have in the back of their minds when they meet someone who carries is. Have you ever had to pull it, use it, or it was there a situation where you thought you might need to? Right. I've, I've carried a firearm. I'm actually 54 years old. I've carried a gun there ever since I was 21 years old. I've had a license. I've never had to pull my gun out. I've always had it with me. I carry all the time. I probably carry. There are times you may see me walking around downtown Austin, and I may have two guns on me. You may not see anything, but I have two on me. So there are times I, I will carry three guns on me, you know, different calibers. I'm always carrying a firearm. It's what I do. Uh, I believe in taking my own personal protection in my own hands. It's important that you know what the laws are, know what you can and cannot do. And it's important that you have an attorney just in case things go the wrong way. <laughs> Definitely. Do you ever get people who maybe call you like paranoid for caring all the time or like I think about that that idea of people want to own guns to protect themselves from the government and some people say like that's ridiculous like that would never happen do you (laughs) think that that's possible or is that paranoia what is what are kind of your stances on that Uh, well I go back to like a hurricane Katrina you know when there was a hurricane that destroyed New Orleans and you had people that were you know there to defend you know fend for themselves the government has left you know the the city pretty much collapsed and you have to protect your home, you know, your property, whatever, plus find food, you know, protect, you know, fend for your, your family. And so that's when firearms come into play. And we found that out even in Texas, in South Texas, we've had hurricanes and things of that nature. There's always looters, people trying to break into homes, break into businesses, whenever something happens. So, you know, firearms are, are, are a very important when it comes to natural disasters, and people found that out during COVID. People panicked and freaked in 2020 when COVID happened and everything shut down. Um, people ran to the gun store to purchase a firearm. We had lines out the door of people wanting to buy guns that year uh, for COVID. Everyone's at home except at the gun store. <laughs> uh, they found out that, hey, you know, if I dial 911, maybe the police are not coming. I'm going to have to be my own first responder. 
So, you know, people started buying firearms, and, and, and it, that was a totally different demographic. People that were just anti-gun were actually walking the gun store to purchase guns that year. Even when we were in the situation of the freeze, you know, here in Austin, Texas, when things froze over, uh, there was no power, uh, and people didn't prep like they should. Luckily, you know, I have you know, I have MREs, I have water, I have a lot of th- different things, and um, and I have dogs to take care of. I have three female dogs, and they depend on me. You know, when things go wrong and they're cold, they're like, "Look, Daddy, I'm cold. <laughs> you need to take care of this, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I yeah. need to take care of it." Right, right. And so you have your own podcast, correct? Yes. Can you talk a bit about that and what you do on that podcast? So uh, my my podcast is Come and Talk It, uh, and it's a it's a gun talk show where we talk all things firearms. We go over different shootings, uh, look at different videos. We talk gun news, uh, any new legislation. Uh, for example, I actually have the lawsuit against the federal government right now. I'm actually suing the ATF. I have several lawsuits against the ATF, as a matter of fact. And so one lawsuit is suing the ATF because the ATF is actually going after different gun stores and trying to shut down gun stores around the country because they're making small little paperwork errors. Uh, paperwork errors like um, when you walk at the gun store and you fill out that form that I talked about, the 4473, uh, I've had people actually spell Austin incorrectly. I've had people, um, you know, uh, just do really weird things on the form. And there are 100 data points on that form where you can make a mistake. And so because of that, those little mistakes, like the spelling of the Austin wrong, um, the ATF is trying to shut down gun stores, mom and pop gun stores. So we're actually suing the ATF to say that's not the way the law is written. You know, the whole purpose of the law is say, hey, if this gun store actually transfer a firearm to a person who's not supposed to get it, then they've committed a crime. And that's, you know, what the law is designed for, not because I made a small little paperwork error. You know, my goodness, you know, there are hospitals out there. If we if we had a federal agency that went out and inspected hospitals and found little, you know, one little thing wrong with the hospital and shut that hospital down, we would never have any hospitals in this country. So I don't, and that's why we're suing the ATF for that one. Also, I have a lawsuit against the ATF that's Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice. I call it tobacco and firearms for bump stocks. Uh, a bump stock was the device that was allegedly used in Las Vegas. The bump stock is actually something that goes on the end of a rifle and it uses the recoil of the rifle to fire the gun faster. And so uh, apparently, uh, allegedly, the guy that did that shooting, uh, used a bump stock on some of the firearms to commit that shooting. And so the the government decided, and this is on the Trump administration, decided they were going to ban bump stocks in the entire country. And I thought that was crazy. You know, one person did something with, you know, a device that's not even a firearm, but a part. And because of that part, you're actually going to ban that part and you're going to turn, you know, millions of Americans into felons overnight. And so I thought that was crazy. So I filed a loss against the federal government. I said, you can't do that. The ATF, an agency within the federal government, cannot ban something. Only Congress can do that. If Congress creates a law and Congress says, hey, something's banned, then I'm dead in the water because that's how bills are made. You know, we've heard the schoolhouse rock song, you know, how bill, how bill becomes a law. And so 
Um, we filed a loss against the, the ATF because of that in the Department of Justice, and we actually won that case. It went all the way up to the Fifth Circuit in the appellate court in New Orleans, and so we won. And so now the government has appealed this case to the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, in September, the U.S. Supreme Court should hear this case. They're, they're, they're actually going to decide whether or not they're going to hear it or not. They're going to have a conference over it. And if they decide they're going to hear this case in Satori, then that means that you know my case goes to the Supreme Court. And we'll see what the Supreme Court has to say about that, the fact that the ATF cannot create a right law. If I win this case, it will be the most important case, I think, of our lifetime. Uh, just remember that name, Cargill versus Garland or Garland versus Cargill. It will be the most important case of our lifetime because that case will mean that, hey, everything that ATF wants to ban, whether it's a, uh, a trigger, whether it's um, a, a part or piece, whether it's a, um, a brace, you know, whatever they want to ban, they won't be able to do that because they have to go to Congress. And that's how laws are made. You cannot turn millions of Americans into felons overnight. So that's now how this country was founded. You know, I don't ever remember our forefathers thinking that, you know, we should ban a firearm, which is a right. A lot of things are privileges, but you have to look at the Constitution, the way the Constitution is written, unfortunately, whether you like it or not. You know, and firearms, it talks about in the Second Amendment of our Constitution, uh, the freedom of speech. Then there's Second Amendment. With the Second Amendment, you protect all of your rights with that, and that's why that's important. So instead of it us going from the standpoint of talking about the Constitution, I went from the standpoint of us saying, hey, ATF, an agency within our federal government, you do not have a right to create a right law. What's it like for you personally knowing that your case might make it all the way up to the Supreme Court? I mean, that's a, a big thing. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited because I, I think I'm making a difference. Um, and I, I'm doing what I believe. And it's just it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it yeah. really is. It really yeah. is. Well, and as we come to the end of the interview here, there's a question that I'll be asking all the people that come on my podcast as kind of a, a reference to its name. And so the question is, for you, what does it mean to be Texan? Mm. What does it mean to be a Texan? Wow. It means that, you know, I'm not going to complain about the heat, that it's 105 or 4 degrees. <laughs> uh, I expect for it to get to 110 for at least about 20 days. You know, that's that's normal in a hot year. Mm -hmm. Not going to complain about that. Um, what it means to be Texan, uh, that we're we're nice and polite to each other, even when we're in a bad situation um, and things are going bad. You know, at the time, we're still polite and we still reach out and help other people. Uh, I think that's what it's like to be a Texan. And where can people find you? Where can they find your podcast or like if you have any social media, where can they find you? Right. All you have to look for is either Michael Cargill, Michael D. Cargill on any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, or you can look for Come and Talk It or Central Texas Gunworks. Uh, that's, you can always find me that way. You have questions. People have questions about, you know, hey, I'm a convicted felon. You know, can I at least have a gun at home for personal protection? If I can, you know, how do I do it or I can't, what I need to do? Things of that nature. We, we, I answer all those questions. I'm not an attorney. I cannot give you the legal advice, but I can answer you know basic questions, or I can turn you to the right direction where you can reach an attorney. Just reach out to me, CentralTexasGunWorks.com, or come and talk it, or MichaelCargill.com. Thank you so very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you having me.
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to tell your story on Truly Texan, head over to the Austin American Statesman website and fill out our submission form. This podcast is hosted and edited by me, Hannah Ortega. You can find me on Instagram at Hannah Ortega ATX. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.